0: we proclaim the good news of Easter Sunday. Christ is risen. He
1: is risen indeed.
0: Alleluia. The grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And also with you. Let's turn and greet one another. We welcome you to Laguna Presbyterian Church, and especially if you're visiting with us today, we're so glad that you're here with us. There is a friendship pad in each of the pews near the center aisle, and we'd love to have you take it and fill it out and let us know that you're here with us today pass it down the pew so that everybody else gets a chance to sign in on it, too. You'll notice that our connections in the bulletin, there are a number of announcements, one of which is about, a couple of which are about today. Our parish nurses will be doing blood pressure checks after this service in the prayer room that's just beyond this wall. Uh, And then right after that, if you are a woman, you're very welcome to come to the ladies' brunch in Tankersley Hall. Our speaker is Christy Christie who is going to be speaking about developing empathy um, and the lack of empathy in our society and how that can actually be developed in each of us and in children and in grandchildren. Um, Christie's a wonderful speaker. We heard her at MOPS and we thought we've just got to have her for the congregation. So if you did not sign up, but you'd like to go to that brunch, you're welcome to sign up at the door. And we are going to start probably pretty much right after first service, rather than waiting until 10 o'clock. So go ahead and go over right away. And we want to get started so that we have a chance for her to start speaking. Um, Also, you'll see that the deacons welcome you to join them tomorrow night to hear about responding compassionately to behaviors in dementia. Um, Our speaker is Cordula Dick Mulkey, who is a wonderful expert in the field Many of us have heard her before about different aspects of dementia and have always learned so much whenever Cordula speaks. So you can come and join us tomorrow night to hear about that. You don't have to sign up, just come. And the third Friday group welcomes you to join them this coming Friday for a potluck and to hear Janet Storton talk about how she is empowering women in Uganda by teaching them a skill that you can sign up for that on the patio today and about what you will bring for the potluck. Also, we are having a new members class next Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. Jerry will be leading that and there are signups on the patio for that today too. And in a couple of weeks, Linda White is going to be talking about the mission trip that she took to Cuba and that will be at the 10 o'clock hour in Tankersley Hall. The flowers this morning are celebrating the 45th anniversary of Dave and Cynthia Illingworth. So we say congratulations to them. They are some of our newest members. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord.
2: Lord God, we thank you that we have been born anew into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Bring assurance an encouragement to us this morning to stand fast in your grace the grace that we've come to know and in through Jesus Christ our savior and lord this we pray in his
3: name amen please join me for our call to worship grace and peace to you from God our father and the lord Jesus Christ for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, so that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace in believing, so that we may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit.
1: May the God of hope and encouragement grant us to live in harmony with one another in accordance with christ jesus so that together we may with one voice glorify the god and father of our lord jesus christ
3: let us stand and worship god together
1: hearts unfold like flowers before thee Blessed be your name. Psalm 130 this morning is our morning psalm that brings us into confession this morning.
0: Friends, the proof of God's amazing love is this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may find mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Trusting in God's faithfulness and compassion, let us confess our sin before God and before one another. We pray together in unison. Merciful Merciful God, God. and direct direct what what we shall be, so that that we we may delight in your your will and walk in your ways to the the glory of your holy name. And so we bring to you the silent confessions of our hearts. For we pray through Christ our Savior. Amen. Awake, hear the good news. All the prophets testify about Christ that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. to God in the highest in Jesus Christ we are forgiven thanks, thanks be, be to God, God. amen
2: I invite you to open your pew Bibles to 1st Peter near the end of the New Testament page 232 I read this introductory passage a great thanksgiving to God for his many blessings in our lives and then the last section from chapter 5 Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen and destined by God the Father and sanctified by the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled with his blood May grace and peace be yours in abundance. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is
4: revealed. Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you did
2: not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy, for you are receiving the outcome... Um, of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And in chapter 5 of this short letter, verse 12, through Silvanus, who might consider a faithful brother, I have written this short letter to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Your sister church in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings. And so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray.
4: Now, dear Father, Tenter our minds.
2: Focus our very beings in your grace and the truth of the gospel. Thank you for the privilege of allowing us to listen to this word from the great apostle
4: Peter, leader in the church. This we pray in your name. Amen.
2: Tuesday morning we gather, women gather downstairs for our Bible study. Wednesday morning, women and men at 7 o'clock. And um, we study the text that we'll be preaching from the following Sunday. It's it's good for me. I hope it's good for you. We have a good group that joins together. You are invited. Especially this season, I hope you will join us as as we move in this post-Easter season through the first letter of Peter. One of the members of the class asked, Why are you making this transition from the Gospel of Matthew into 1 Peter during this season? And the simple answer to that is
4: that the Gospel of Matthew is sometimes called the church book. And 1 Peter is a general letter to the church. We remember that great
2: text in Matthew 16, in which Jesus asked his disciples, Who do you say that I am?
4: And Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And
2: Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Peter flesh and blood, have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Peter, I believe, from that moment began to reflect what it might mean for him to use the keys of the kingdom of heaven to build and to develop the kingdom
4: in and through the life of the church. So Peter wrote this short letter. And in reading this letter, it's very helpful
2: If you daily, if possible, spend some time and read the whole letter each day. Because there's a sense in which Peter keeps replaying some of the great themes of the gospel. And it's a tightly written letter with heavy theological vocabulary. And we need to listen to it because the church to whom he was writing, he named as the exiles in dispersion. And the regions where they lived were in those parts of what we call modern Turkey. Pontus, Galatia, Asia, Cappadocia, Bithynia. Scattered rural churches in the hinterland of Turkey, out there alone. The Apostle Peter, by the mid-60s A.D., had arrived in Rome, which he named as Babylon. Coded language, some suggest, to keep his place a secret. Because in Rome in the mid-60s, the whole city burned. Some said Nero fiddled while Rome burned. And people accused him of being responsible for that, and so he needed a scapegoat to blame the burning of the city upon, and he chose the church, that small fellowship of disciples in Rome. And it was in that persecution around 64 A.D., tradition tells us that Peter, the great apostle, was crucified on a cross, upside down, set afire fire in what is now named as the Vatican Garden a martyr to the faith. In the same persecution, the Apostle Paul was beheaded out on the Appian Way and his body buried under what is now called the Church of St. Paul. It was a time of persecution. And Peter could see that it was coming and he knew that if it was starting in the very capital city of the empire in Rome, it would gradually spread to other parts of the empire. And sooner or later, those Christians out in Turkey, modern Turkey, would begin to experience perhaps not state persecution,
4: but cultural opposition. And they might be tempted in difficult times.
2: As we are often tempted and put to the test in in difficult times, they might be tempted
4: to fall away. And so he wrote this short letter as a word of encouragement
2: to those struggling young churches scattered in the hinterland of Turkey, A word of encouragement to interpret to them the very foundations of their faith that the church needs to hear over and over again in good times and in bad times.
4: It is a relevant word for us. To the churches, he
2: wrote, and the one that stands out to me is Cappadocia. Many of us have been to Cappadocia, an area right in the center that's a beautiful area that became a center of orthodoxy by, this, by the third and fourth centuries that helped shape and form the Nicene Creed that we often say. It had three of the, the great church fathers, Basil and the two Gregories, who were leaders in that. It was a church that was built underground, a city in the rock formations of the area. And the inside of those rock formations carved out another city with beautiful murals and paintings and churches and houses, a spectacular place. And yet a place that was hidden away in order to escape the wrath of its enemies in that Greco-Roman culture and religious environment where paganism
4: was alive and well. So Peter wrote to them a very important message of encouragement.
2: A personal word to those churches, even though he might not have known them all by any means. But nevertheless, a very personal word of encouragement, a general letter to the church, near the time when he himself became a martyr.
4: He wrote words of encouragement to those who have been chosen and destined by God the Father
2: and sanctified by the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ, who have been sprinkled with the blood of Christ, may the grace and peace of God in abundance rest upon you. Personal word of encouragement. Let me ask you this morning, Christians of Laguna Beach, Who's the encourager of your life? Who speaks words of encouragement to you? Words that build you up, that strengthen you in the faith? I have lots of folks who speak those words into my life. Three came to mind this week. My friend John Huffman, with whom I've been in covenant relationship in a group for more than 35 years sent me an email this week from Tel Aviv where he's leading a group. We led a group to Israel together several years ago. Some of you were on that trip. And he sent this simple little email. He said, I'm in a taxi
4: cab on my way from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, and I was thinking about you. That's what a friend is about a friend with
2: whom you share joys and sorrows, a friend that knows your weaknesses, a friend that knows those moments in your life when you need encouragement. As we have done hundreds of hours on the telephone late at night discussing, debating the great issues in our personal lives and in the life of the church. Over and over again,
4: we've reached out to one another One of us may be down, but within a few
2: moments of conversation together, we are both laughing.
4: And it lifts the burden. And it brings encouragement. Who's the encourager of your life?
2: Tom Toole used to preach about his balcony people. People that he knew in the balcony of his church were simply always rooting for him and for him. Even if he preached a lousy sermon, they were there to encourage him. We all have people like that. Another couple, pastor, a friend, and his wife came to see me this week. We've been friends since long before I came to Laguna Beach. We shared together, and he went to work for the president of Princeton Seminary, and part of his job was to stay in touch with all the alumni of the seminary. And so he would call me at these ungodly times of day and night just to ask me, how are
4: you? What's going on in your life? Years before that, the one, the man in that job, David Crawford, when I was a... a
2: an assistant pastor in a church just getting started from time to time all the way from Princeton Seminary would come and visit me. He knew my name. Somehow I was on his, in his book. and But it was more than that. He was an encourager and he was greatly loved by so many, even as my friend did Groenhove. He said, Jerry, I remember you put me in touch with that therapist who saved my life during a very difficult time in my last parish before I went to Princeton. And When that call came through, he said, he called me and congratulated me. What an important, encouraging word. Wilkie Al, my spiritual director, From time to time, he publishes a book and he either gives me a copy or I buy a copy and whatever. I take it to him in my monthly meeting and, and he autographs it. And I love that because he says such nice things about me,
4: whether they're true or not. Encouraging words.
2: I think that's why the apostle Peter wrote 1 Peter
4: to encourage the church to bear witness to the truth
2: of the grace of God in which their lives were deeply planted. And so this first paragraph in 1 Peter 1 is really a call For that church out there to remember their spiritual identity. Whatever the circumstances of their lives. The great questions. Who am I? Or who are we? The question of identity that every person struggles with when they grow up. And hopefully at some time along the way they discover who they are. But some of our institutions including the church. Oftentimes struggles with its identity. We do not know who we are. And
4: the question is, how can we as Presbyterians discover who we are? I was deeply touched this week in reading the report in The Guardian in the UK
2: about Justin Welby, the Archbishop of the Church of England. I think in that role two or three years now, A strong evangelical and a leader in the church. There have been all kinds of rumors about him that his uh, father had not really been his father. And sure enough, they finally did a DNA test and discovered that the man for whom he was named was not his biological father. And since he's a recognized person in England, it's in all the media. His father was the personal secretary of Winston Churchill. And just before his mother married his stepfather who he thought he was his, Justin's father she had an affair with the personal secretary of Winston Churchill. And when the baby boy was born they both assumed she'd run off to America to marry this guy they both assumed that they were the parents of this baby boy. Now it is out in public that he was an illegitimate child you can say, well, maybe that's a form
4: of opposition to the church that's going on. But the grace of that man,
2: and the letter that he published, and the letter that his mother published, that shared that his mother throughout those years was a raging alcoholic and hardly knew what she was doing, and so he was not surprised. She was. She was stunned. But since 1968, she's been into recovery, and she knows the principles of AA, that we're only as sick as our secrets. And so this beautiful public confession and affirmation of love for one another and pride in one another. But what Justin said was so powerful for me. He said, I discovered a long time ago that my true identity is not in my genetic code, in my DNA. My true identity is in Jesus Christ. And I live and move, and I have my being in him. And he is able to sustain me because I know who I am in Christ. And he's everything to me. And so he's not afraid of any kind of information that might come out. The only one he wants to please is Christ. And he's a child of God. His identity is deeply rooted in the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ
4: who chose him before the foundations of the world. and gave to him an identity and a destiny and a grace
2: that has led him to this moment of leadership in the international body of the Church of England. May God give us other fearless leaders like this and churches who know what their true identity is, whether it's in good times or in bad times. We need that. Who
4: are we? We're the people of Christ. And our identity is deeply sealed.
2: In the grace of God, one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we've been sprinkled with his blood for obedience to Jesus Christ. We belong to him. Every time we baptize a baby over here and put water on his head, we are remembering that this child's identity, true identity, is deeply rooted in the love of God that knew that child and claimed that child and loved that child and blessed that child from before the foundations
4: of the world. Secondly, Peter said, Rejoice in the
2: mercy that you have received through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You've been born anew into a living hope. What happens in times of pressure, good times or bad times, is that we can lose
4: hope. We can despair about our well-being in the world. And Peter wants to remind the church That whatever the circumstances they
2: may be facing, that they've been born anew of the spirit of God into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We remember that story of Nicodemus. He came to Jesus by night and Jesus said to him, Nicodemus, you must be born anew. And he said, you mean I must go into my mother's womb a second time and be born? And Jesus said, how is it that you, a Pharisee, a teacher of the people, do not know your own scriptures? You must be born from above. You must be born anew. You must be born of water and spirit. The spirit is like the wind that blows through our lives. It is like the breath of God. God. That blows upon each one of us, that blows upon the church. It is the Spirit that constitutes the church and allows it to live with hope, whatever the circumstances
4: of our lives. And so we give thanks to God
2: for the Spirit as the Spirit blows through our lives and breathes into us the breath of life. You see, the Spirit of God is the source of all life. It was the Spirit that called the whole creation into being, and it was the Spirit that called forth Jesus from the tomb. And because of that, we have a living hope, because that Spirit has come to dwell within each one of us. It is in this grace. Peter exhorts the church to stand fast, stand fast, in the grace of what you
4: have received through the power of the Spirit. Then he said, reaffirm the inheritance that God has
2: promised to you. What's your inheritance? Most of us think about an inheritance as something we hope we'll
4: receive from our parents someday. If our parents had anything left over, Peter says, we've been born anew to a living hope through the resurrection
2: of Jesus Christ and into an inheritance that is imperishable, that is undefiled, and does not fade away, and which has the power <coughs> to hold us secure in the arms of God's love until <coughs> the revelation of Jesus Christ On the final day, when we see the fullness of that promise in the new creation and know that God has raised us from the dead and nothing has ever been able to separate us from the love of God. Heaven is our destiny. It is our inheritance. If I did not believe that, I could never visit another cemetery. I couldn't walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death if I did not know who God is and what God has promised to us. Life is so fragile and it is so short. But we have been given a new identity. We've been given a living hope. We have been given an inheritance that cannot fade away.
4: Sink into that. I hardly know how to speak of this because
2: it is such profound truth. Words fail us to interpret this mystery of the centrality of the grace of God in creation and history and the providence of God's love in each one of our lives. Jesus said it this way,
4: He's got the hairs on your head numbered. Not a sparrow falls from heaven that he does not know about. But not a one of his creatures who are named as his children can be lost. I don't know about you, but this is the encouragement that I need
2: over And over again it allows me to be human and not to be driven by selfish pride or egocentricity there's enough struggle with that as it is but to have some of that diffused by the reality of
4: God means everything to me one of the great leaders of the church
2: the last century, was a man who I heard give a series of lectures at Fuller Seminary the year I was graduating. Dr. John Mackay was in his final years of being president of Princeton Theological Seminary. When he came to Princeton in the 1930s, he came to see if he could rebuild that seminary that had been split in half by his own mentor, J. Gresham Machen, who had taken half the faculty and moved to Philadelphia to start another seminary. Sound familiar to you?
4: John Mackay was an internationally known Scotsman, an authority on Spanish
2: philosophy and theology who had spent his years in Latin America, had become an authority in the field known as an evangelist and work who one who worked for the unity of the body of Christ around the world. And he came to Fuller and he gave four lectures.
4: And he entitled them The Hispanic Christ. I know you've never heard of John Mackay, but he's one of our great ancestors in the Presbyterian family. He had his
2: opponents. He was a great man. But there were many thought that he had betrayed the church simply for working for the unity of the church. And when he spoke at Fuller, there was a line of people around the block with their posters protesting the presence of John Mackay, interpreting Christ to us. In the same way when I was at Princeton, the same line and some of the same leaders circled the campus when the leadership of the Russian Orthodox Church came for conversations with American Presbyterians. It was the corruption of the church with communist influence. And there was no truth to that, and it was very sad. Pastor with whom I served in La Cunyata, Gary Demarest, when he was a student at Princeton, went to John Mackay's house to talk to him about the church and what was going on in America. And really, it was a session of lamenting and talking with this authority who might give him some insight and encouragement. And after a lengthy conversation, as Gary was leaving Dr. Mackay's house, Dr. Mackay pulled him close to him and said, remember Gary.
4: Jesus Christ is everything. The rest is just smoke. I need to remember that.
2: In all the preoccupations and worries and anxieties and fears that I think will threaten my identity and threaten the life of the church, I need to remember that Jesus Christ is everything. And all the rest is smoke that will pass away. But Christ is the very foundation of the one who holds the cosmos together. He has redeemed us. Our identity is in him. Our hope is in him. Our eternal inheritance is in him. And whether it's an easy time for us or a difficult time, We need very much to remember that. Last week, I spoke about Gary Kalman and some of the success of their work out in Africa, the Wycliffe Bible Translators. What I didn't say to you was that a month or two ago, terrorists invaded one of the Wycliffe offices somewhere in the Middle East and killed four of their central Bible translators. And they're having to train their translators and their staff now how to persevere and to not be afraid and to be accepting of whatever their destiny might be. They may meet persecution. There was a time when I was really uncomfortable with even talking about the possibility of the persecution of the church. But let me tell you this, you go on Google and you Google the persecution of Christians in the world and there will be pages of links you can access a very powerful article in the uk's guardian last week last year laid it all out there that we live in a world in which there is growing hostility conflict and competition between fighting groups and oftentimes it has to do with religious conflicts
4: We are grateful that we can gather in peace and not be afraid
2: of having someone to listen in and to report to the government or to tape record the sermons. We are grateful that we can live and move in this society and function as Christians, but that's not the way it is in many places in our world. We fight about what we think are insignificant things, about whether or not there will be a Christian cross on the great seal of Los Angeles County. But more relevant to us, whether or not there will be a cross atop the steeple of the Laguna Presbyterian
4: Church. Can we get it by the planning commission in this highly secular city? We dare not live in denial.
2: And frankly, I worry about Christians who've become paranoid and fearful
4: and see persecution everywhere. How to live with reality and to know that we are
2: safe and secure in Christ is one of the great tensions of our lives.
4: So thanks be to God this morning. That Jesus Christ, His grace and truth, He's everything.
2: And all the rest is smoke. I'm not going to tell you, don't worry, be happy.
4: But I'm going to tell you to stand fast in the grace of our Lord.
2: Stand with me and let's affirm our faith. words of the Heidelberg Catechism that we've used before, leader and people. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who at the cost of his own blood has fully paid for all my sins and has completely freed me from the dominion of the devil that he protects me so well that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, that everything must fit his purpose for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Thanks be to God. You may be seated as we receive our morning offering.
1: Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Of God, born of His Spirit, and I'm washed in.
3: Almighty God and Father, you overwhelm us with your great mercy. At the time of our greatest need, you surprise us with your wondrous love. We praise you for sending your only Son, Jesus Christ, to live among us, full of grace and truth, and he made you known to all who receive him. Sharing our joy and sharing in our sorrow, he healed the sick and was a friend to sinners, and we trust him to overcome every power that can hurt or divide us and believe that one day he will set all things right. We ask for your Holy Spirit to empower our church and our lives with your compassion that we would be filled with generosity, love, and forgiveness. Bless now this offering and may it be used to further your kingdom and your cause of grace and mercy and hope to go out to this world through Jesus Christ and the glory forever, amen.
1: We close our service with a song that we hope will bring encouragement to us as a a church. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns, the Lord has come. So we end with that this morning.
2: life and in death we belong to God through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God the Father and the communion of the Holy Spirit go forth with the abundance of God's grace and truth in your hearts amen